those of you who are joining us on a regular basis since, we, since the COVID crisis, that you didn't used to worship with us, I just really wanted to make sure that you knew that um, under normal circumstances, we are a hugging church. We are very physical. We get very physical. We do a lot of hugging. And it's been very hard for us not to hug you. <laughs> but we, we love you. We're so glad that this new change of the way that society is going has led to some new people joining us. We're really happy about that. We, we, we welcome you. We call you family. Amen. And you may not realize, but Pastor has... You know, up until March, he was in the, the uh, habit of uh, allowing each of three pastors, Pastor Ronnie on the bass and me, and Pastor Ronnie's daughter, Tanika, who normally plays the drums, but she's got very delicate health, so she's been staying home these many months. She's the third of the ministers who preaches on a rotating basis at the end, the last service of each month. We take, off, we take turns. So... I'm the first one back at it, and I'm very um, honored and pleased to be able to do that. I have a message for you today that's based on the season, and if you're not Jewish, you might not know what the season is, but I'm Jewish, and I do know what the season is, and uh, I want to assure you that whenever I go into things Jewish, I'm never doing it just for the sake of the novelty of it. If it doesn't have something to do with Jesus, I don't go there. But the point is that there's so much that's Jewish that has everything to do with Jesus that it needs to be said. So today's topic, the title uh, for my message is, What Do We Do With Our Sin? What do we do with our sin? I'm going to talk to you today about the enormous love that God has for you. Amen. Oh, well, I'm glad that I'm glad we're getting messages. Anybody getting a message from the Lord? Okay. Anybody else need to turn their cell phones on silent? I always appreciate that first one who has to suffer the embarrassment, but she's doing a service for the whole congregation because she's. Giving her, everybody a reminder, please silence your cell phones. Just like when you go to the movie and you get that little trailer. So thank you. You've done us a service. I want to talk to you today about the love of God. Love of God that he has for you. And he's going to express it in a very special way in today's message. Turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 John 4.10. 1 John 4.10. 410. And it reads like this. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I'm going to read it one more time. In this is love. He's telling you, this is what love is. I'll tell you what love is. You think you know what love is? This is love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We're going to move from there to Romans 5.8, which has a similar message. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ 
died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he demonstrates his love. Now, what I want you to notice about both these scriptures is that in describing the love of God, that love is defined strictly in terms of how he deals with our sin. So there's a message in how God handles our sin that is an expression of his love. Now, some of us have committed crimes. Maybe you sped along the highway. Maybe you... uh, Parked illegally. Maybe you did something more than that. And we call that owing a debt to society. Isn't that the terms we use? Mm -hmm. We talk about a debt when you commit a crime. That's called a debt. And when you pay your debt, you've paid your debt to society. You pay your parking ticket or you serve time. And that's called paying your debt. Well, if we look at things spiritually, when we sin, when we do wrong either in deeds or even in the thoughts in our head, we incur a debt as well. It's not a debt against society. It's a debt against God, who has a holy standard, a perfect standard. And even if we harbor a hateful thought or a lustful thought, even if we don't even act on it, we've incurred a debt. Now, David said something very interesting about that. He He did a huge sin with Bathsheba that caused the death of Uriah. It caused all kinds of trouble. But what did he say about that sin that he committed? He said, against you, God, you only I have sinned. Now, you might say, well, didn't he sin against Bathsheba in kind of luring her into adultery? Didn't he certainly sin against Uriah? Uriah had to die for his sin. But David says plainly, Against you, God, you only, I have sinned. Because when we sin, we are incurring a debt against God. So what can we do with that? What do we do with that debt? And what can we do with our sin? How can we repay it? Now, you can pay your parking ticket, and then you're done. You serve time, you're done. You've paid your debt. How do we pay our sin debt? Adam and Eve had a way. They had a strategy. Let's go get some fig leaves and sew them together into a little loincloth and uh, hide. I'm going to go hide. I got my loincloth on made of leaves, and now I'm going to go hide under a bush. And we would have to say that was not a very effective strategy because God saw them anyway. He knew what, where, that they were hiding. He knew where they were hiding. And he knew exactly what they had done. There was no hiding from God. So that was, that was not an effective strategy. So actually, God intervened to do a better job for them. And what did he do? We read in Genesis 3.21 that he sacrificed an animal. He sacrificed an animal and clothed them with the animal's skin. And though their sin was deserving of death, he extended mercy to them and he didn't kill them. He banished them from the garden. He spoke harshly to them. He cursed their ground. A lot of things happened, but he didn't strike lightning onto them and cause them to suddenly perish. He showed mercy. And he used his method of intervention for sin, which was the death of this animal. And that death caused him to be able to cover them with the skins of the animal. 
And that is what he has done for us. He knows that we sin. He knows that our strategies, just like Adam and Eve's, are going to fall short. They're kind of pathetic. And they are ineffective. So that's where we come to his great love for us. He loved Adam and Eve. And he spared them and found a way to deal with their sin debt. And he loves us, not just us, humanity, but I can say every single individual sitting here and every single person he loves individually. Now, tonight begins the most holy day of the Jewish calendar, the Day of Atonement, what's called in Hebrew Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It is the most solemn and holy day of the year for us. It is the day that even the secular Jews who don't even believe in God, they still go to temple on this day. And why do you suppose they do that? Well, because somewhere inside each of us, we have a conscience. Somewhere inside of each of us, we know that we are not deserving of God's love. And we have to throw ourselves at his mercy. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about this this uh, feast of the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, because it's tonight. And so it's no accident that pastor asks me to preach on this day. I have to address it. And it gives me an opportunity to talk about the love of God because of the atonement that he provides. Those of you who are in my uh, Bible study, when we used to have Bible study, Sister Essie, I don't know where she is, but she's in that class. And some of you come. I forget who. Yeah, some of you. Anyway, you know all about the feast because pastor has been gracious enough to have me teach the feasts on an annual basis, as they come up in the calendar for what, some like six years now maybe, five or six years? This is the only year that we have not done that because of COVID. There are seven feasts of God, and they're listed in Leviticus 23. They're not the Jewish feasts. They're not the feasts of Israel. God calls them my feasts. He says these are my feasts. And why would we care about some Old Testament laws like that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because those seven feasts, when, they, when you take them together, they tell the story of God's plan of redemption for humanity. Right. We'll start with the first one, Passover. Is it an accident, do you suppose, that Jesus was crucified on Passover? That he is, in fact, understood to be the Passover lamb, even mm-hmm. as Paul said? He is the Passover sacrifice. The one whose blood, if you know anything about Passover, you put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of your house and the death angel will pass over you. You will be spared death. Second feast, just a few days later, unleavened bread. He is the unleavened bread. He is the matzah, we call it, a sinless bread. Leaven is a picture of sin. Is it, do you suppose, a coincidence that Jesus was buried on unleavened bread? Third feast. Just a few days after that, the Feast of First Fruits, which takes place on the Sunday morning after the Sabbath, after the Passover. What happened on First Fruits? Do you think it was a coincidence that Jesus chose that day to rise from the dead and to be the first fruits from the dead, as we read? He was that seed that went into the earth that had to die, that many brethren would live. That's the story so far. Now we're in, we're in a seven-inning game. Three innings have been uh, positive actions on the part of Jesus. Fourth inning, the fourth feast, is what we call Pentecost in the Christian church, in the Gentile church, but what we Jews called Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. 
And what happened on the Feast of Weeks? Do you suppose it's a coincidence that that was the day? First of all, it was the day after the exodus from Egypt when Israel met God at the mountain. And in the New Testament times in Jesus' day, it was the day that the Holy Spirit was given to the church. So that the law was no longer written on tablets of stone. It was written on our hearts according to the prophecy about the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. So now we come to the fall feasts. We're four innings into a seven-inning game. And all four innings, Jesus has done something extraordinary for humanity. Now we're into the fall feasts. Last week we had the Feast of Trumpets. That represents the time when God himself, did you know that Jesus was a shofar blower? Do you know the shofar is the ram's horn? Did you know that he himself is going to blow that trumpet when he returns? So last week we celebrated a festival of trumpets that represents the time of Jesus' return and his ingathering of his elect, his church. And tonight we begin the sixth of the seven feasts. There's one more next week. And this is the most solemn one. This is the only one that in the New Testament it's referred to not as the feast, but as the fast. In fact, the Jews are fasting today for this most holy day. This is the day that sin is dealt with. This is the day that judgment takes place. This is the day in the Old Testament that you read about in full. And if you want a homework assignment, go home and read the entire chapter of Leviticus 16. And that will tell you about the Day of Atonement. Essentially, it is this. The high priest in Israel only went into that Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and in the temple once a year. And this is the day that he did it. And not without cleansing himself and purifying himself before he went in to make intercession for the nation Israel. He took two goats. One which was to be killed and the blood used to sprinkle on the mercy seat as an atonement for the nation Israel's sins. And the second goat was pushed out into the wilderness to wander until it perished. Now, both of these goats bore the sins. The priest put his hands on them to transfer the sins of the nation Israel onto them. That they were substitutionary sacrifices for the nation Israel. And that one went out of the camp and the other was killed and its blood used to make to apply to the mercy seat behind the veil. And that would atone for the sins of the nation. Let's look at this word atone. It means to make reparation or compensation for something bad, to supply satisfaction. There's been an imbalance. A sin has occurred that creates an imbalance. Atonement restores the balance through blood. My personal definition is my personal definition is to satisfy a sin debt, thus restoring peace between God and humankind through a sacrificial death. Now, why did there have to be blood for atonement? Well, God explains that in Leviticus 17:11. And this is what he tells us. For the life of the flesh Is in the blood. And I, God, have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. 
So he's explained to us, we don't have to wonder, how come so much blood? And oh boy, there was a lot of blood in there in those tabernacle days in the temple. A lot of sacrifices, a lot of blood flowing. Why the blood? Because the life of the flesh is in the blood and God has given it to us on the altar to make atonement for our souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Now, how many of you have ever read the book of Leviticus and really wondered, oh my goodness, how am I supposed to understand all these sacrifices, the grain offering and the wine offering and the hen of this and a ephah of that and a bring a goat. This one you can share with the priest. He can eat it. This one, don't, no, 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 don't, not that one. And all these different sacrifices. I can give you a very simple way to read the book of Leviticus. Read it through the eyes of love. God loved the nation Israel so much that he made a provision to cover every one of their sins. Every one of those goats and pigeons and grain offerings was for the purpose of atoning for sin. He knew they were sinful. He knew they needed a strategy. And that was what he provided. That's the provision and love of God. And he has that same love and provision for you and for me. Only we have something that's better than what the nation Israel had. When you read the book of Hebrews, you read that word better quite often. We have a better sacrifice through a better priest for a better strategy for sin. Why do I say a better strategy for sin? Wasn't that a perfectly good strategy? Sacrifice the goat. The priest goes in. You get your atonement for a year. Well, let me explain how the atonement that the nation Israel had is not quite what it could be. And let's look at that word, the day of atonement, we say in Hebrew, Yom Kippur. Yom just means day. So it's the day of Kippur. Kippur is a word that means to cover. To cover. He covered our sins. He covered our sins. And it was annual. It had a shelf life. It was good for one year. But when God himself, in the person of Jesus, became not only our high priest, but he became our sacrificial offering, because, you know, he was the shepherd, he was the lamb, he was the priest, he was all of it. He didn't cover the sin for a year. He took it away forever. He took it away instead of covering it. And he did it for all time instead of for a single year. I'm going to read you three passages that explain this. Hebrews 9:26. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin. Not to cover it until next year. To put it away by the sacrifice of himself. 1 John 3, 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And I know you're all thinking about John 1.29 right now. Behold the Lamb of God who covers the sins of the world. Oh, what does he do? He doesn't cover them? No, the Lamb of God takes away. He takes it away. That Greek word is remove, lift, put away, get rid of it. It's gone. It's gone. So, back to our question, what do we do with our sin? 
Well, I've drawn up a few options for you. In case you're wondering what to do with your sin, I have four options for you today. One, option number one. And I want you to seriously consider these options because one of them might be for you. The first one is to sew fig leaves into a little loincloth and go hide from God. (laughs) It's a viable option. Others have done it. It's got a track record. Our, Our ancestors did it. Come on now. It's a perfectly good option. But maybe not so effective on account of God knows that you're hiding. He knows where you're hiding and he knows what you're hiding. But still, I leave it open to any of you who wish to say, yeah, that, that's, that is me. That is me. That's the one I want. Option two, you can join the ranks of those who love to sin, rejoice in their sin, ignore their sin, don't even care to call it sin, fight with you if you try to tell them, that maybe what they're doing is not the best, tell you to quit judging them. Sin like there's no tomorrow. Walk away from this whole story. It sounds pretty fanciful. Killing a goat and blood on the altar. Doesn't that sound kind of crazy? So just go ahead and sin and love it while you're doing it. Live for today. That is an option. Now, how many of you are the sort, and you don't have to raise your hand, that when you get a parking ticket, you throw it in the garbage. Anybody ever know somebody who did that? And what, what happened after a while? I mean, it was good for a while because you didn't have to pay it. But what happens later? Did you too much money? What, did anybody know? You know, there's so much rumbling. I think you all know. What? Sister Ruby. Oh, really? In other words, your legal rights are uh, limited. Oh, isn't there something about, like, you, oh, penalties? Cost goes up. Yeah. So, in other words, there comes a day of reckoning, doesn't there? Still, if that's you and that option two is for you, I say, go for it. Go for it. If that's you, I'm going to say, be your, just be you. Just be you. Do you. Okay, option three. Option three says... It's really unfair that Jesus should have to pay my debt for me when he had nothing to do with it. I'll pay it myself. And I actually know people who talk this way. Why would I ask Jesus to do something? I'm 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 responsible for myself. I'll pay my own debt. Okay. Well what what is the cost of that debt? Anybody know the cost of sin? What? Death. Death. And again, you are free to choose that. You are free to choose eternal death. Death means eternal separation from God. It's not a death that you're just going to suffer and that'll be the end of that. It's eternal. Isaiah tells us that your sins have made a separation between you and God. Still, if option three is for you, I say, go for it. (laughs) Whereas... Back in the Bible days, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, and that only once a year. For an atonement that lasted only a year, we now have a high priest who has torn the veil so that the Holy of Holies is not any longer a place that we don't have access to. That veil was his flesh. We have full access to the presence of God. 
in the Holy of Holies. And we can dwell in his presence now because of the work of Jesus as our once and for all atonement, which brings us to option four. Option four, you might wish to consider, believe and accept the atonement that God has made for you in his mercy. Let him pay your sin debt. Let him pay it so that you can live forever with him. Yes, yes. That's the uh, fourth option. So we, we had sow fig leaves and hide, uh, rejoice in your sins, and pay the piper later. Pay the debt yourself and be dead. Or let the one who planned this strategy for dealing with our sin, who planned this atonement for you and for me before the foundation of the world, out of his love for you. He was willing to be that sacrifice. Not only the one whose blood was sprinkled on the altar who died as he did on the cross. He's also the goat that left the camp because, as you know, Golgotha is outside the camp of Jerusalem. Golgotha, where he was crucified, is outside the camp. So he's the goat who was banished from the camp and he's the goat who died for you and whose blood atones for your sin. Now, I I just want to say one more word about these seven feasts because we have one more feast coming next week. And that's the end of the Hebrew calendar for the year because our calendar starts in a different uh, place from the Gregorian calendar that the rest of the world uses. The seventh feast is the feast of Sukkot or booths or tabernacles such as the Hebrews dwelled in in the wilderness and it represents the time when sin has been done away with when God's kingdom is fully come it's the seventh of seven feasts in the seventh month and that wonderful number seven which speaks of the fulfillment of God's promises is finally made whole and complete in that seventh feast that we're celebrating next week and it's the key to our hope We don't just have hope that Jesus will take away our sin. We have hope of eternal life with him. That's what that Sukkot represents. That he has, he's going away to prepare a place for us. That where he is, we may be with him also. That we're going to be with him. That's where God, Emmanuel, God with us, becomes reality. And we are with our Lord forever. That is the consummation of the ages. That is God's kingdom come, and that's what we're celebrating next week. But we can't do that until we do away with sin, which is what we're doing today. I'm going to end by reading you Hebrews. Now, Hebrews is really a lot about everything that I've been telling you today. Yeah, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament speaks a lot about the Day of Atonement, and you can learn more about it there. But for now, I'm just going to read you a few verses and let you think about which option is for you of those four options. Consider this. Since we have confidence to enter the holy place, remember that holy of holies that only the priest could go in, and only once a year, the high priest only, The writer of Hebrews says, since we we have confidence now to enter 
the holy place by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil. Remember, the veil was rent when he was crucified. The veil, and the writer of Hebrews tells us that is his flesh. Yes, I'm reading from Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 23. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 23. I'll start over. Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us, and this is your invitation now, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts Now, not the mercy seat, but our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And what is that hope? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Our hope is what is fulfilled next week, that we live eternally with God. So let's pray. Abba, Father, you've given us so many ways to understand who you are and what you have done. And one of them is by the feasts of God of Leviticus 23. You have given us a picture, a story teaching of your plan of redemption for humanity. It all goes back to the willingness of Jesus Christ to lay down his life for humanity that we might be spared death that is the due wages of our sin. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that he was willing to do that for us. We thank you for your love, which is the message here. You've provided strategies for atonement for sin because you love us. We thank you. We love you. But more than we love you, you love us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We remember your love today. We treasure your love. And if there's anyone here today who is wavering, shall I place my faith in this Jesus? Lord, touch their hearts to say yes to Jesus today. Let this be their day that they become born again in you, that they leave death behind and find new life that is eternal life in you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you've given. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you are motivated by love for us. Oh, we are so undeserving. And yet, Lord, you found us worthy. And you found us when we were lost. Thank you, God. Amen. Thank you, Sister Michelle, for that wonderful message, and I pray that everyone chooses option four. (laughs) I think we've all chosen all the other options before. Let's settle on option four.